This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. In this episode, straight from Oslo, Norway, and in between things like training, life, and med school, we caught up with this Norwegian national team member. A decade ago, Jakobsen wowed at the age of 20 as she won her first World Champs medal. And she's still rolling. Jakobsen added three more medals at the 2017 World Championships in Lati. Busy on the World Cup takes on new meaning if you've got to get home from medical school. That's what Jakobsen hopes to be doing after skiing in the upcoming Winter Olympics. She's nine World Championship medals into her ski career and more than halfway into her medical studies with about three more years to go. No time for downtime in this episode. First, can I get you to introduce yourself and how old are you and where are you based? My name is Astri Urenholt Jakobsen. Um, I'm 30 years old and I'm yeah I've lived in Oslo. Apart from one year in Trondheim, I've lived here since I was six years old. Oh, lucky you! So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, when I uh, my first in, uh, year in the senior team, then everyone told me like, how can you be from? How can you live in Oslo and be a skier? But the last five years, there's been more and more skiers moving to Oslo, so it's actually a great venue for training. What makes it such a good venue for training at the elite level? Of course, now, after we had the World Championships in 2011, we also got the roller ski track, which makes it better, even better. We have, maybe we don't have the, we're not the first place in Norway with snow, but when we have snow, the the route, like the net of tracks, is so big. And uh, very, you know, you can find uh, quite long climbs and you can find the flat terrain and you can find really uh, more up and down terrain. So you have the chance to have a big variation in your training. That's for winter. And for summer we have, you know, Oslo is a city, but it's actually not such a big city. So you can roller ski almost everywhere. You just need to know uh, where to go. And do you live up by the ski venue? No, I live. Uh, I live actually very close to the uh, to the university and the, like the wing three because it's easier for me to take my car when I go go skiing, and then I can go with bike or or just walk when I need to go to university or something more downtown because it's you know when you live in a city you don't use your car. Uh, at least that's how it is in Norway or it's better without a car so I've, I've chosen to live more down yeah yeah uh, so it's more more central but still not in this still not in the downtown uh, but um, you know also if you live up with uh, with the venue in Holmkollen if you want to go like long roller ski you always have to start with going down which is not really easy in the morning when there's traffic so 
Yeah. How do um, if you're going to start up by the home and colon, do you have to go down, I guess, that main road? Although it's not a highway, but the main road. Uh, yeah, to get or lower? you can take like there's also another road down, but um, yeah, you ha- partly you have to go by the main road, and you know they they have built a lot of houses there in the last ten years, so the traffic is really different from when I grew up here, and uh, to like as of respect of everyone driving a car it's better to not go roller skiing down there in the morning yeah sure but do like if you just uh pick the right timing it's no problem you said that you know maybe five six years ago certain athletes or teams in norway would have considered oslo a place maybe not to train growing up there as a junior skier, was there also the stigma that, well, if you're a junior skier in Oslo, it's going to be more difficult to move through the ranks? Mm, no, not really, because uh, I think it was uh, probably five, six years before I became a junior. There was some, uh, yeah, some parents actually that started like... Uh, something we call Team Kolum, which is a team for all juniors in, in Oslo. And it's the biggest junior team in, in Norway. But there's like, if you if you want to be it, you can be it. There's no qualification. Like, you don't need to have special results. So it's more like a team for everyone that wants to do cross-country skiing. So the, so the benefit with being from or coming from Oslo was that I had like, I had so many people around me who loved the same thing that I did. I had so many people to go training with. So, you know, when I entered the national team in 2006 and they were like, how can you be from Oslo? I was like, yeah, but Oslo is the best uh, region in junior skiing. But it's, I, I think it's more, it's been the stigma that, you know, you can't be, uh, if you want to be a skier, you have to be like far into the first from somewhere when no one else is and that Oslo was just good for a World Cup in March but I think people have changed their minds <laughs> you know first just so North Americans have an idea of how the education system works there so so you're obviously a medical student yeah how does that work in in Norway um, you know in the states there's high school <laughs> you know four years of university typically and then at least four years of medical school what is the progression like in norway yeah we have um uh, in norway you you do the same high school but only that it's it's three years but it's like if i i have some friends that went to high school in in the u.s and they say that the first year in high school is like middle school for us so it's like yeah, our high school is three years. It's the same as the last three years of the uh, the U.S. high school, level-wise. And then you, when you're finished high school, you can apply for university. And we, uh, and then you apply directly to like what the re- direction you want to take. So I, I started medical school, medical school, uh, based on my high school credits. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And then medical school in Norway is six years, and then one and a half year of internship. So you don't you don't have these first four years before you start medical school, but the um, the medical school program is longer. If you want to be a lawyer, you start 
uh, you apply to be a lawyer after high school and then you do uh, and that takes five years. I, I had heard this somewhere, but are, are both your parents or one of your parents a physician? Both are and my grandfather. <laughs> oh, okay. So there's a long tradition. So that's why that's why I had a year in in Trondheim because I really didn't want to be uh, a doctor because you know all my family, everyone in my family are doctors. So, so I didn't want to do the same like they did. So I started uh, actually I started an engineering program in in Trondheim in math and physics, which was interesting, but it was. Uh, during that year, first of all, my mother got sick, so I wanted to move back to Oslo. And then I also kind of admitted that I wanted to be a doctor anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. If that program is about six years and then a year and a half, I guess, uh, internship mm -hmm. or something like that, how far along are you right now in your medical studies? I'm like uh, a bit more than halfway on this. I've done a bit more than three years. Uh, so, you know, I really wish that I could have done more because I think I would have, I would have had time to do more school the last four years than I've, than I've actually done because the university says you have to do full time or nothing. There's nothing called a part time because they, they have like no, you know, when I started, they had, uh, uh, a kind of a partnership with the Olympic Training Center, which gave me some rights that made it a bit easier to do a, almost like a part-time solution. But now this deal is out, so I have to do full-time or nothing. So, oh. which makes it hard to have progression because full-time is almost impossible as it is so much. You need to be attending very much, okay. of course. Yeah, so th oh. that would mean that, for example, um, you know, there's no opportunity to take one or two classes. You either have to take no. a full course. We don't have classes, you know. There, a medical school in uh, both in Oslo, Trondheim, and uh, Tromsø have, uh, like, there's, like, uh, a semester and a semester contains uh, different things from uh, like dif different subjects but there's not parted in in some classes it's just like semester one semester two semester three so if you start semester like for me now I want to start my seventh semester then I have to do everything in the seventh semester semester because there is not it's not differentiated into like anatomy or pathology or so I can do just one part. It's just in a big mix. Are you actually going to start that seventh semester this year? Yeah, my plan is to start because the seventh semester start with two or three weeks um, to writing. Uh, like we have this big paper you have to write, you have to turn in on your sixth year. And there's some weeks during the medical school that's like put aside to write. And I think seventh semester starts with two or three weeks for writing the paper, which I'm already writing. And my goal is to deliver this yeah, before Christmas. So then I can start 
after Christmas with like I start in January but the first weeks I won't be there because then there's Olympics sure <laughs> yes <laughs> so at the moment the Olympics are finished I will have to get as fast as possible back to Oslo and start school We'll uh, talk about the Olympics a little in a little bit, I hope. But for you then, does that mean you'll be skiing a full, typical World Cup schedule? Yeah, but I have no idea if I will have the chance to ski anything after Olympics. Because then maybe I can't travel anymore. Okay, because so. of school or... Yeah, Okay. school. Well, good for you. I, I am curious as a... I, I mean, in Norway you know, skiing is, is the biggest. And in Norway, in terms of the culture, for you to walk into classrooms or just be a normal, regular person, uh, is that something that culturally is an easy thing to do there? Uh, yeah, I don't find it difficult. Like, I can see that people recognize who I am, but uh, most people are polite, well, so they don't say anything or make anything out of it especially not in a situation like that. So I don't, f that's not really as challenging as you might think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I am curious, you know, having grown up in Oslo, um, did your parents or your club, did they bring you kids uh, to home and colon or to the world, any other world cup venues, you know, as youngsters? Uh, you know, I think like my, how I entered cross-country skiing was probably a bit different because, you know, I, I started actually because I wanted to do alpine skiing. And then my father said that I needed to, like, learn how to really ski first, <laughs> which is really Norwegian, that really skiing is cross-country. But uh, so at the beginning, I was just attending this cross-country training because I wanted to start alpine, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. But then after, you know, my ski club was uh, quite big. We were, when I was 13, we were almost 40 people in training. And that was just my, yeah, kids born in 87, like myself. So, you know, there was a lot, lot of kids doing cross-country skiing. And then I got uh, some friends. And then that's when I started to think it was really fun with skiing. And then, uh, you know, when I started competing... I was also, you know, I was not winning so much when I was young, but I was, I was quite good. Like I was number four or number three, or I could see that I had some kind of talent. And then, uh, you know, we were always training in Holm and Colin. So for me, Holm and Colin was like nothing special. I don't think uh, I understood how special it was before I got older actually so uh, because that's where I always would ski it was like my home ground and uh, because when when I went to see the World Cup I never went to home and going to see the World Cup you know uh, we always went we always went into the forest to see the World Cup I was never sitting in the home column venue to, to watch watch the skiing we always went out with a tent or something and for, you know when I was younger they, we they still raced uh, two times 25 okay so you you wouldn't even access the course through home column or friends at then you would drive another place and then ski into the forest and put up a tent and you know, you know so for me the World Cup 
in Holmkoln was more something I watched from far into the forest. So I was, I was much older when I understood that the, the venue of Holmkoln was something big. And I, I never skied, uh, did cross-country skiing to be like world champion or best in the world. So I was not really paying so much attention to cross-country skiing, you know. I didn't watch... I think the first time I watched World Championships in TV was maybe 2005. Oh, wow. Yeah. So at, at what point when you were growing up, I mean, you had some really, I think you, you know, I, I went through your biography on the Fist site, but didn't write down all the information, but I think you won two junior world championships. So so clearly, you know, at a young age, you, you were on the national team's radar. Uh, yeah, actually, in 2005, uh, I could have raced, uh, what do you call it, Youth Olympics or something. Yeah. Yeah, and then, but then, you know, my high school was not so interested in sports. Uh, it was more like an academic high school, so they said no to me being uh, gone for a week. So I had to say no to go to, I don't know where it was, in Spain or something. Uh, and then my coach said that, uh, um, okay, you can't be gone for a week, but uh, we have nationals for seniors this week. So maybe we can go there Friday and you can do the sprint. And I was like, yeah, but I can't be gone from school. Yeah, and I said, we drive from Oslo Friday morning, you will just win miss one day in school. Okay. So that was my second year as a junior. And then I was... Uh, I had never raced against the seniors before, and I, you know, I had, I still had no idea. I knew that Tomat, it was the best skier we had, but I was not really aiming for anything, like being in a national team or something. So I, we went there up the, that morning, and I started almost last because I had the worst fish ranking. And I ended up being second in the sprint behind Marit, and that was the last qualification race for our world championships in Oberstdorf. But then the coach at the time, he said, like the national team coach, he said, okay, you are too young. So you are good enough, but you are too young, so we can't take you for Oberstdorf. And then the, the following year, yeah, I was still too young to be in the junior team because the junior team are only the two oldest years of juniors. So then I was also just training with my club and I was three nationals. That was the last qualification for uh, Olympics in Torino. And then they said, you are too young and you don't have international results. But no one ever told me that I could go, go do a World Cup. But after Olympics, I got to do my first, first World Cup. So the thing that was very different then with the coach that was in charge then and when Egil Kristiansen became a coach was that he, his policy was uh, if you are too young, it doesn't matter how fast you are. But when Egil started to be a coach, he was, I don't care what your age is. If you are qualified, you're qualified. So from Egil was a coach, I got to ski, Teresa got to ski, Ingvild got to ski, and Mike got to ski, and Heidi got to ski before we were so old, you know. But, but my, my, fir my first years... Since I was the oldest of the new generation, I was the first one. I wasn't allowed to do anything. Yeah, and that's quite a, quite a list. 
And that's, I, I imagine that was a little bit frustrating knowing that at that point. Yeah, but in one way, it's more frustrating now than it was at the time because at the time I was not really so, you know, I never focused on qualifying for championships or being, uh, uh, I never knew that it was a, a like a possibility to be an athlete, to live of being an athlete, you know? was not something I knew of. I think it was more a frustration for my coach than it was for myself at the time. I imagine that in Norway, a lot of young uh, female athletes are, are looking for advice from you because you obviously you know, are, are unique in that you're able to live you know, an academic life and pursue professional you know, aspirations, but also have an elite career. What do those young athletes talk to you about? I'm curious, you know, do they ask you any advice about how to have a long career and one, not burn yourself out, you know, as a young, as a young junior? You know, I see, we have also talked a lot about this in, in our team because, you know, when I grew up, when I was a junior, we didn't have so much social media and everything. So it was more easy to just be like in your own world. You know, you went to your trainings with your ski club, you came home to your parents, you did your homework. It was not so much stress around. But now, like the the ones that grow up today, they are... They are constant, constantly on the social media. They get to like, they know so much more than I ever knew when I was a junior, which in some ways are probably positive, but I think also it creates so much pressure because they, at least in Norway, we have so many young skiers and not skiers that like they're trying to live this perfect life. So... Uh, actually, I I think my b- biggest role is is to try to like make uh, young girls like calm down a bit or chill. Like uh, you don't need to become like a doctor by the end of next year, and it's not that you have to look a certain way or you don't like. I think now today there's so many girls they want to be fer- perfect in terms of being the best athlete, being doing well in school or having good credits and looking good and being the best on the social media like they're trying too much at the same time and having the most friends possible so i don't know i think it's easy it's easier also when you get older to see that it doesn't really matter if i'm finished as a doctor when i'm 32 or 34 that's not what i will think of the day I'm, <laughs> I die, that it was a bad thing. I, I didn't finish earlier. So I think the most important thing I can do is to, yeah, make the young ones pick the way they really want to go and not the way they're expected to go. And then to uh, like be happy with doing your best and not to put the limit as being the best because that's two very different things. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I, we see this a lot, you know, with all types of athletes that being the best, obviously only a handful of people can be the best. And if that's the end goal, that can be a little bit I, destructive is maybe too strong a word, but disappointing in the long run, I suppose. Yeah. 
you know we're working a lot within this within our team too because we're now we're we are eight girls and of course we are eight strong skiers but like there's still only maximum one one of us that can win every race so if everyone can just be happy when they're winning it will be a really toxic environment so you need to like we also need to take the focus away from results and think more about development and uh yeah what what kind of like what did what did i actually do today did i do like did i ski well or did i ski bad not what was the result and i think young skiers have also to start thinking like this because or else they will be so disappointed and it won't be any fun and you you won't continue skiing for 15 years if it's not fun is that something that the team you know you guys i think you when we were emailing setting up that you had a there was a a, a team training camp maybe a week or two mm -hmm. ago um is that something that the coaches or the coaching, you know, the, the staff that doesn't necessarily run a training group, but like maybe sports psychologists that actively work with the group to maintain a level of, you know, just general happiness and trying to not dwell on that, you know, the time, the result sheet at the end of the day when, uh, yeah, like, in our team, we are like we're athletes now that we really want to use time and energy to to work for an even stronger team. So it's more like now, uh, like this year, we have asked for um, more like a team coach that will come in and help us uh, improve team wise and challenge us in the way we think and the way we work together but this has no effect absolutely no effect if not all athletes are uh, engaged to it and the same with the coaches because our coaches has also to think the same way because if they're measuring us after results and we are not it will just it won't work so everyone has to like think in the same or have the same logic for it to work. So that's why we, when we're in training camp, we use a lot of time for meetings, which some people find very, like, what's the point? But that's, like, that's actually what I call the hard work to create a really strong team. You know, I can imagine on, on the women's team, and I'm sure it's the same with the men, that there's, you know, when you're going through your list of athletes for a potential relay squad, it's hard to leave out, you know, absent mm -hmm. maybe Marit, it, it's, it's very difficult to select. And, you know, athletes are obviously peaking at different times, but, you know, say in Lottie, when it's like, okay, I don't know how they release who will be on the team, but... No, actually, to, to pick the teams, it's not something we are involved in. That's the coaches and, and the lead, is the chief. That's something they decide. But, uh, you know, the, I think the, the biggest, biggest challenge is in our group is that some ski, like since we are so many strong skiers, there's, there can be skiers that are really, really fast before Christmas. And that like, if you pick the, pick the relay team in December, it will be easy. And then by the, then Tour de Ski pass, some gets tired 
and then others get in shape and then suddenly you have a shift and the shifts are always the most difficult because then you have skiers that always thought thought of themselves as uh, uh, like the safe card in the relay can suddenly be out and that happened in in Latti when you have Ingvill which had uh, a really strong season but then suddenly she was out of shape and that's I think that's the biggest challenge for the coaches to then okay here we have an athlete she's won uh, World Cup races this year she's been really strong she would have been in the relay team for any other nation but now actually we have other skiers that are suddenly in shape that was not in shape before Christmas so I think that's Probably our biggest challenge is that we are also so competitive that it's easy for us to get excited to be really fast in December to qualify for championships or Olympic Games and then uh, you end up tired by the time the championships arise. So, like for us, for us it's harder to qualify for championships than taking a medal. Which sounds weird, but it is. So, so that's why I think it's. If I was, uh, you know, I my mother is Danish, so if I could represent Denmark and I knew that I would ski uh, Olympic Games, it would m- be much easier for me to take a medal in Olympic Games. That's uh, wow. I mean, that's kind of crazy to even think about. Yeah, but that's how it is. It's and it's even worse for our men. Like, how, how can you be strong enough to qualify and then still uh, put on your A-game in championships? Because I think a lot of our athletes are in their, on their A-game in the qualification period, uh, which is how it has to be. But it's, that's why I think there's, there's uh, always a good opening for like, uh, our competitors to do well in championships because we are not always at our best then. Sunbi, for example, who has just dominated at least overall World Cups for the past, you know, say three, four years. Yeah. But I, I think he still yet has yet to win an individual mm-hmm. Olympic and world champs. Yeah, I don't think the same goes for him, actually, because both him and Marit, they have so strong results over time that I think they, they get like their the trust to ski world championships and olympic games very early you know so i think it's it's more for number three and four in the team like the sprint spots in in latte you had probably 15 skiers male skiers that could take these spots and then you know number three and four it's so hard they have to be on their a game to qualify you won your first world championships you won a classic sprint mm-hmm. in Sapporo, Japan in... 2007. Yeah, 2007. Yep. Thank you. And I think, were you 20 years old at the time? Yeah, I was still... It was my last year as a junior. So I was not really racing World Cup that season. I was racing uh, Continental Cups. Yeah. Did that kind of catch you and your coaching staff a little bit off guard? Uh, you know, when I entered that season, I was they took me up into the senior team before that season. Because, you know, the level, then, like, 
Marit was a strong skier and Kristin was strong, but apart from them, there's, you know, we didn't have the same team as we have today. So they took me and three other skiers up into the senior team before, like in the spring 2006. And then they were like, yeah, you maybe you will be strong enough, enough for a sprint in world championships. And I was more thinking about junior worlds, actually, and trying to race, to start racing against seniors on Continental Cup. So that was what I did most of the year. And then, but then I did, I won nationals in the sprint with a lot in front of Marit. And then they said, you have to go to Sapporo. So... That's how that story went. But that was actually not the goal for me before the season started. To fast forward to, you know, 10 years later, uh, this 2017 world in Finland. Mm-hmm. Not that you were off anyone's radar, but obviously the women's Nor- Norwegian women's team is loaded with very good skiers. Yeah. And I think your, your best result prior to world championships was, I have it, uh, was a, th- a fourth, a fourth in an individual. Correct. And that was a yeah. sprint, correct? Um, yeah, I had fourth individual and sprint in Ottepen. And I was fourth on one of the stages in, in Lillehammer, the mini tour. And then I was fourth also in Ulrisahamn, I think in January, but it was all in skating. Yeah. You know, I had a bad season actually, but I I think I was too tired in the fall. I didn't ski well before Christmas. And then, you know, I discussed with Vidar and I just said like, uh, if I try to ski tour de ski now, I will just be more tired. And he said, okay, you should go all in to just be in shape in, in Latte. So, but for me, like I qualified last, last, last minute for racing in Latte and yeah, I was really close to not qualifying, but you know, I have this uh, ability to be, uh, to like high, my level always gets better when there's like medals at stake. So, uh, but it's like you told me uh, before the relay, he said, you know, you were not in my relay team before after the 10K classic. <laughs> So, you know, I was the one messing things up, but that's also how I always do. I, I get better when there's medals at stake. So, so I guess personally, you know, the, it looks like, you know, the 10K Classic in Lati was the first race that showed how fit you were. Yeah. But privately, did you know that you had that kind of race in you prior to the start? You know, I did the skiathlon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came in eighth, with, which I was really not sad. Uh, like, I was not happy with that race because I I didn't solve the classic part very well. Uh, also, picked, didn't pick the right skis. So I was kind of frustrated with myself because I felt like I've thrown away a big opportunity. But then I also felt like, okay, I can finish as number eight. When I don't really, when I'm not really doing a good job, which means that my physical shape has to be good. So uh, then I just decided that uh, if I get to ski the 10K classic, I just ski. I don't think so much. And I also knew that I had to start early because I was not in the seated group. So I, I didn't have any times to ski on. I just had to ski on my own. But I like also this. So 
I think in my head and and I never think that something is impossible. I don't ski for a certain result. I just I just ski as fast as I can, and then I think if I if I'm in good shape, they have to ski hard to beat me. <laughs> I mean, you proved obviously an all round. I mean, a, in shape as an all round skier in, in Lati. I mean, you you came in third in the classic, and then it, I believe it was a pretty. The conditions were fast. At least they were for the guys. I forget the day that you guys skied the 30K freestyle. Yeah, it was fast. Yeah, it was fast. Okay. But you skied to third in that. And at that point, you know, it's uh, maybe a week after the 10K Classic. Mm -hmm. Did you know you're in it for a medal at at that point? Uh, Yeah, I think when I started the 30K, I knew that I was... I felt that I was just getting in better and better shape because uh, the leg I did in the relay was crazy. It's some of the best races I've ever done. So I knew that, uh, you know, even though it was my first time doing a 30K in championships, I've never been qualified for it before. So I just thought, like, I will try to be in front of the pack and then... Uh, or in the first group, and then we'll see. But I won't. Yeah, I was also quite determined to not do like a big job, because I felt I had quite a good finish, so I wouldn't have to be the one to do like the pulling in the group. Um, but you know, I I think my shape that day was so crazy good that that's why I fell in the beginning. I don't know if you watched the race. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, I I fell, and uh, so I skied the whole 30k with a lot of pain. Uh, I thought I had to stop. So when I finished and got the medal, I was like, this is crazy. And then one week later, I found out that I actually fractured my back when I fell my sacrum. So I, it was not so weird that it was painful. <laughs> Did you end up racing the, the 30K in home and colon after that? Yeah, which was really stupid because, uh, you know, when I came home from Latte, it was just getting more and more painful. And the whole week I could not do uh, training. Uh, And then I tried to do classic skiing the day before the 30K and it was painful. But, you know, the physios and the doctors were like, yeah, you're probably just bruised. the pain is not dangerous and then I was like okay but then I tried to race it's home and it's home ground and I started and classic skiing was so painful that I was like it it was worse to do the 30k in home and so I think I ended up like something 36 37 and then uh, after I told doctor I don't think it's normal that it's like that bruising is so much pain after like eight days after and then we uh, took an x-ray and then they were like hmm this is not just the bruise <laughs> yeah so then i was uh, okay. then my season was over actually it sounds like everything's all healed up at this point and you feel okay yeah i had uh, from yeah from uh, i took this x-ray after after home console, that was around the 10th of March. I had 12 weeks with uh, first uh, just rest and recovery and then rehabilitation. So now I'm uh, back to normal training and everything is healed up, which is good. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. At least in the U.S., the, there's a lot of focus on, on the Olympics. And, mm-hmm. you know, sports like cross-country skiing get 
not much media exposure until this, you know, once every four years. Do you have specific uh, goals for the Olympics? You know, I'm, I'm trying more to focus on like what to improve, like where can I improve my skiing? How can I be even faster like I would in every other season? And of course, Olympics are, are special, but it's in my head, it's Olympics are much easier than world championships. It's less stress in a way because you're most you're more like you get to be more in private than you do at least for us in world championships. We have so much people around us and we have our sponsors and we have to go for TV studios and there's a lot happening. For Olympics it's much so much more quiet. So in one way it's <laughs> easier. Uh because, uh, of course, the tension from Norway within Olympic Games are it's also big. But I think the difference for us between World Championships and Olympic Games, it's not so big like it is in the U.S. So, But, of course, like I don't have an Olympic medal. I would be honored to, have to take one or bring one home before I... And it's probably my last chance. So... Of course, that will be a goal, but I don't think it's a goal I will think so much about because, it, you know, to think about a possible medal won't make me a uh, faster skier. And I have a quote from you in my notes that, you know, one of the things that you like to do is really focus in on what your weaknesses are and improve on those every year. So, mm. you know, at this point, you know, you've won a world championship sprint. You've uh, met, you know, lots of different medals here and there. Mm. Uh, you're clearly a dominant uh, distance skier when you're peaking. Mm. What are your weaknesses from your perception at this point? Um, I, you know, my strongest event is probably the 10K individual start because I, I, I'm really strong skiing on my own. I'm no, I'm good to like keep the pace up on my own. So. But what, what I'm like, my biggest focus this year is actually like to improve my balance so I can ski more effectively and, uh, and maybe improve my finish even more. So, because I'm, I'm quite strong, so I should be able to outsprint most girls. But um, at the time, I'm, I don't think I do it well enough. And that's the, that's probably the lack of, of strong balance which is the cost so that's why i'm i'm using a lot of time for this yeah the u.s women's team uh has had a lot of very good results the past five six years and obviously you know keegan dominated the sprint globe for mm -hmm. three years and now you know uh jesse diggins is mm -hmm. an all-rounder Looking at a 10-year World Cup career, you know, how is your perception of towing the line or going up to the start line with U.S. athletes? How has that changed? Uh, you know, the first uh, the first year it was just it was just skiing. You know, for sure there were probably some other skiers too, but you had the impression that she was alone always, and now you feel like. Um, there's a lot of U.S. skiers, you know. It's one of the big teams now, which which is a big change. And uh, they are also quite young. Uh, and 
uh, they take uh, take up a lot of space, not in a negative way, but in a good way, because they're. I think the one of their best qualities is their uh, ability to show how much they love skiing for skiing, and not love skiing because it makes you famous or because it makes you money or yeah some other things like they they have the ability to show that they just love the sport which i really really like and i think that's why they're also you know the u.s especially the women's team are like they're quite big in norway like people norwegian people notice them because they're they're like um positive they have this positive energy and then they they just love skiing which I think, uh, like the Norwegian spectators, they just love this. So, and uh, then I really look forward to the day they can also be a strong classic team because they're still doing uh, best in in the skating. So, but I think maybe already this season you will maybe say they can take the step up to the podium on a classic race. That would be great. Yeah, because yeah. they 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 also need the confidence in the classic to feel that we can also be fast classic skiers. You know, th- this actually brings to mind something I noticed um, in Norway, and almost everybody classic skied. Is that was that sort of a normal perception? Is that how you see it as well? Yeah, you know, like, uh, tradition in Norway is just, like, if you go skiing, you ski classic. Like, my parents, they have no idea how to skate. Uh, so it's like, my generation is probably the first first one who knows both skating and classic. So, you know, I never did skate skiing before I started, like, cross-country training. So when I went skiing with my family when I was young, it was only classic. But when I see like kids now, they I can also see that a lot of the kids they like skating more than classic because it's easier. You don't like you're not dependent on having like the good kick wax and everything. So, but the tradition in Norway is that skiing is classic skiing, and that's why we have also the most tracks with with classic. I know that you are applying or putting your name into the pool for the IOC athlete representative. I'm curious if you can just comment generally about your interest in representing athletes uh, when it comes to, you know, Olympic sport and just sport in general. You know, I, I know, like, I think... Uh, in a lot of other countries, you know, to be uh, in the IOC is something like, I don't know, it's like some big achievement or something, which I think in Norway we don't think the same way. But, you know, both in my team and in sports in general in Norway, there's there's not so many athletes that really engage in it in so much. It's more like... Uh, what they keep their heads are into is training, eating, and sleeping, and that's it. And everything else is too much. I feel that like if you really want things to change in the way you like it, and if you want it to change in the way that's best for the athletes, then someone has to really get involved and use time for changing it in the in the right direction. Um, and you know, I've I've grown up with. 
uh, like never to take an opinion before you try to see a, uh, see things from at least two sides. So I think that's one of my strongest qualities. I'm quite good in like stepping back and seeing things from different sides, which is like something I hope I can use uh, if I get the honor to be a representative. So, uh, you know, I'm already, I have already some volunteer work for, for um, not for the federation, but for uh, the National Sports Federation in some committees about ethics and sports medicine, which I really find uh, interesting and I've learned a lot. So I want to use that knowledge on behalf of the athletes and not only on behalf of the federation. When you talk about ethics and, and sports medicine, wh- what does that mean to you? Or, I mean, I honestly, like the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, how to create cleaner sport. But uh, is that sort of what you're talking about? Yeah, you know, you have also, like creating cleaner sports. It's like, okay, you can take the anti-doping work. It's really important. And it's also really hard to know how to proceed. Like, should the rules be more strict for it? Like, we still have nations that don't even have an anti-doping agency that are like competing on international level. And of course you have to, like we have to work for all nations to have the same strong systems, but then you have, where should you find the finances to do it? Like there's so many uh, factors that has to be thought well of before you just say that, okay, everyone just had to fix it. (laughs) Because in Africa, maybe it's not so easy to just fix it. Uh, and then, um, so that's the anti-doping work, which uh, like is a never-ending story. You have, I think you have to push there until the end of sports because there will always be someone that wants to cheat. But then, you know, if you think about ethics and sports medicine, you have also like what you would call a gray area, which is I, where I find it's most difficult to take a stand. You know, is it okay to use caffeine or not? Is it okay to use painkillers or not? Is it okay to uh, use uh, painkillers so an, an athlete can compete in a big event even though competing is not good for his or her health? You know, that's more the difficult questions. We had also a big debate about asthma uh, in Norway which kind of took off in the media and was not very well covered. But it's like the same. Should uh, people get treated so they don't get sick or should we wait until they're really sick before we treat them? Should we have, uh, uh, should the limit uh, for racing be uh, at 20 minus or at 15 minus? Like where, what, uh, there's so many things that should be discussed that I find really interesting because it's, like it's the most important thing to take care of of the athletes, of the young athletes, of the kids, or of the fists, or the organizers, or the IOC. You know, there are so many uh, different agendas. So you know, for me, anti-doping is quite easy because then you cheat or you don't cheat, more or less. But then you have more these gray areas. Like, should we use uh, fluor for waxing skis? If fluor kills the nature, for example. But someone has to ask them. Because 
if no one asks them, then we take a direction without really knowing that we do it. Anything else I didn't ask? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And um, thanks for, uh, for chatting. Yeah, thank you for calling. And good luck with everything. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Nordic Nation. 